15 minutes it is after 8pm you tuned in to Metro FM Talk here on the mighty Metro and uh, yeah we continue with our discussions as I said when we started we out on Twitter on at Metro FM say use the hashtag Metro FM Talk many of you trying to make sense of uh, what's been unfolding in our uh, country and I as I was saying when we started if you if you want to separate the wheat from the chaff uh, it's quite clear here that uh, there's parallel paths of what is happening uh, there might uh, be what some might suggest a parallel praxis so on the one hand, uh, all of us falling over themselves, uh, trying to get basic food essentials. But uh, my view is that that's not where the real story is. But uh, we can certainly have that debate. And uh, one of our colleagues here at the SABC, uh, the host of uh, one of the recognizable technology shows on uh, our SABC uh, TV platforms, yes, Pumela Lezondi, saying, yeah, we are reminded of the important fact that two of South Africa's provinces, Guazulu, Natal and Gauteng, can shut down the economies of the whole Southern African region, just largely based on the fact that uh, those transport, logistical and freight arterials that go through the port of Eteguini are a lifeline for the region. And uh, we continue on that vein uh, in unpacking the implications of that. And I'm joined uh, by uh, Setuma Pineza, uh, now on the line, uh, who is a political economist and he's the founder and executive director of Political Economy Southern Africa. And he joins us now on the line. Plekazwam, kunjani. Long time, my brother. Long time, man. It's always a pleasure catching up with you, Sia. Sia? Before we get into uh, the geopolitics, the supply chain issues, maybe just your reflections um, on what you've seen over the last while, and uh, and maybe yeah, your thoughts on on my assessment. I mean, you know, somebody was saying you're smoking your socks. Uh, <laughs> there's something wrong with a generalized state of lawlessness, uh, you know, that sees people running, you know, and tripping over themselves to get hold of consumer goods. Um, and yeah, my view is that that's not where the real story is. Yeah. Look, it's a difficult one at a difficult time. I think, firstly, I do want to note that on many of these issues, uh, you know, everybody might feel justified in their view. And, and I think this is the way in which most of development and political economy issues present themselves, in that in some way our views are linked to our personal identities, sure, but also sure. our sort of class consciousness in a way. And so, you know, from one end, what might be a necessity for some person's physical survival is definitely breaking the law and lawlessness and, you know, what some politicians have referred to as thuggery Mm. uh, in the eyes of others. But, you know, as development economists, we've been talking about these issues for a long time. And, you know, at some point you feel repetitive because the focus, you know, in other general sort of mainstream economists has been elsewhere. You know, Mm. um, it seems quite silly now to be, you know, discussing about, uh, you know, things that uh, have been pertinent in the policy making space. uh, If if you compare to what the discourse on development economics has been about the issue of inequality, you know, the historical legacy of the apartheid past and how it's been, it's brought us to where we are. But obviously these things, as I said, present themselves based on personal views and positions that people take. And so in many instances, these views have been denied or have not been acknowledged in terms of the weight and the importance that they have 
in such uh, uh, to such an extent that they never reflect themselves in our economic policy. Mm. I'm just thinking back here to the South African economic policy, the last sort of policy paper that was published by National Treasury, and the large focus on network industries, if you're thinking telecoms, etc., but very little by way of discussion on the, the structural issues from a socioeconomic point of view, you know, inequality, mm. and the, the focus on those structural reforms was on largely issues of, you know, the network economy and connecting uh, um, the economy in terms of logistics and other other forms. And fast forward to where we are today is precisely the nexus of this in that if the economy doesn't take account into the, you know, its formulation, the reality of the majority of South Africans, it's going to be undermined. It's not going to have any, you know... Uh, um, cumulative process. You can work on the ports and try, um, you know, privatize the ports authorities, etc., in order to release economic activity. But if that's not linked to the reality on the ground, that people aren't, you know, don't have jobs. We're sitting with mm. over fifty percent unemployment rate. We're sitting with rising poverty levels, compounded by the current COVID nineteen pandemic. You know, it is as if you know policy is. Uh, 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 fixing a, a game of chess whilst the rest of us are playing drafts. Mm, you know? mm, mm, um, and then obviously what we're here to discuss is obviously the impact on the region as yes, well because yes. South Africa being such a huge regional node, its impact is not just domestic but mm. you know, affects a large part of the southern region, but also the rest of the yeah. country. And maybe see how, how I like to sometimes think about these things is to is to start from the history of it. Um if you can take us just through, I guess, the, the configuration of uh, material and trade relations. Um, and we're going to take a brief break now, and uh, maybe we can do that when we come back. Just the emergence of SACU, the customs union. Um, sure. But in addition to that, I guess, the, con- the uh, configuration and ordering of the infrastructure um, that gets goods from you know, the ports or gets goods uh, to the ports and the implications that that has for the region as well. And we'll continue after this. Ah, yeah, some history there. Uh, and uh, thank you there to Thames TV uh, out in the United Kingdom uh, for that report uh, coming through from 1986. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's about, uh, what now, 35 years ago. Uh, and uh, speaking about uh, the, I guess, strategic um, vulnerabilities faced by many uh, frontline states who were heavily reliant on uh, the transport of goods and the import of much-needed uh, uh, machinery, materials, and other things they needed for the economies, and importing those through South Africa. And I think, Sia, that's what I want us to maybe kick things off on and uh, speak about, uh, I guess, uh, the implications from around even, I guess, as early as the 1920s of this sure. uh, massive you know, uh, infrastructure development, but also a very lopsided and uneven development uh, that uh, is also presenting vulnerabilities in the current moment. Yeah, so I think the first thing to to, to acknowledge is uh, the culmination of two events: the formulation of the Union of South Africa, which is largely, I think, the end of uh, the Anglo-Boer War and the settlement of the domestic, uh, you know, bargaining or political power balance. And this also coincides with the establishment of SACU, which was also established in 1910 and stands now currently as the oldest customs union in the world. Um, this customs union includes, um, at the time it was just Lesotho, uh, at the time Botswana, uh, and Swaziland and South Africa. Uh, and uh, three of these were part of what was the 
the perspective has always been to have these neighboring countries and some landlocked in South Africa as captive export markets. And as a result, you know, the development of industry in these countries has been slow or at very best been linked to the development of industry in South Africa. For example, more recent developments in countries like Lesotho in terms of the development of their textile industry have been linked to partly uh, benefits from the South African auto industry, but also as well their access into the U.S. uh, market through the AGOA arrangement. Mm. And so a large part of the regional trade is coordinated and arranged by South Africa to such an extent that uh, the network on the, the linkage between trade and government is almost as direct as uh, our exports or sorry our imports in the region, which we charge customs taxes on, mm. are literally what fund the governments in the region uh, to the tune of up to forty to sixty percent of government revenue in countries like Eswatini and Lesotho, uh, Botswana to a smaller extent, Namibia to a lesser extent. Uh, and so th- this is the historical background and linked also to the clip that you played, the shift. Uh, with South Africa uh, isolating the region in terms of its maritime trade and uh, forcing a lot of the trade to happen through South Africa. And these are things that still create contentions up to this day. Uh, with South Africa, on the one hand, people saying that South Africa is subsidizing the government in the region because it's through our imports that mainly come through South Africa that we fund uh, the government to the common revenue pool of the Southern African Customs Union. Uh, but at the same time, a large part of these imports that come through South Africa are re-exported into these countries. And I think that's now where the linkage mm. uh, of these disruptions on the logistics side in terms of the riots and the looting has an impact on the region because these countries rely heavily on imports from South Africa. And a lot of these happen through the land ports uh, with a strong dependence on Durban as the key Mm. shipping port. Mm. I think what is important to remember is that up to uh, at least 2019, as much as 90% of Africa's trade was done through maritime ports, Mm. meaning you know, the importance of maritime ports as a source of goods entering the continent is very critical. And the fact that the southern African countries, neighboring in some landlocked in South Africa, have, uh, you know, a strong dependence on the uh, land ports as a result of, you know, the history that we've just highlighted uh, uh, means that they depend heavily on uh, the few uh, key major uh, maritime ports in the southern African region being uh, Durban, um, Maputo, as well as uh, Kenya, uh, in Ufu Mombasa mm. and Lamu, mm. um, and, and and so these what feed the remaining arterial uh, logistics and trade routes that connect all of the countries, including all of the landlocked countries in the Southern African region. And you know, see, I mean, for me, this is this is so important, um, and it's sad that it's this se- sequence of events and developments that has triggered this conversation. But um, I guess we'll have to deal with that. But this is a critical conversation that we ideally ought to have been having. Um, and when I say you know ought to have been having, I'm not suggesting that it hasn't been happening, but it hasn't been happening at the scale of a generalized discourse in the public. Which is, what does this Africa continental free trade area mean then? in a context where you have such massive supply chain vulnerabilities in a region like SADC, which relative, I guess, you know, to other regions of our continent, wouldn't be seen as a dirt poor region, if I can put it that way. 
Definitely. I think also it's one of the regions that have got great potential, largely due to the industrial capacity that we have as a region. Obviously, a large part of that uh, still being dominated by South Africa, but what we've seen over the last 10 to 15 years is a slight reduction uh, from around uh, 66% of the regional trade being dominant, uh, dominated by South Africa to where we are now, which is about 45 to 50%. But I think, nonetheless, to me, this highlights two issues. I think, the, you know, uh, the importance and the kind of conundrum that uh, uh, the SADC region faces itself when it comes to uh, uh, the balance of forces and uh, uh, political response. So, for example, in as much as, uh, you know, the, the SADC in South Africa has been ongoing for the past couple of days, there hasn't been much pronounced by way of pronouncement uh, through the SADC. And the last issue that the SADC organ on politics, defense, and uh, security was dealing with is the issue currently facing uh, facing team. And the other issue is that, you know, depending on how quickly we resolve the issue in South Africa, there is still a high risk of the contagion affecting and perhaps even uh, uh, inciting further unrest in neighboring countries like Eswatini, mm. who are almost direct neighbors to KZN province uh, on the one side. So, you know, the way in which this riot and the conflict plays itself out here uh, not only, uh, you know, creates conundrums on how we resolve it, but also gives a sort of, um, it has an impetus to create worse, uh, worsening conflict in, in countries like Eswatini as perhaps, uh, you know, uh, the public either feels emboldened or feels as though, uh, you know, there is a unity of struggle. Uh, also remembering the fact that it wasn't not long ago, maybe a month ago, that similar cries from Lesotho in terms of uh, mm. a, a community organization there um, pleading that South Africa should um, annex Lesotho and form it as a 10th province, mainly because of developmental and economic issues uh, facing uh, and hardships facing Lesotho currently. So this historical connection and you know the economic ties mean that whatever happens in South Africa either has almost a direct or a slightly lagged impact on these neighboring economies, not only from an economic point of view, but politically as well, as, as I've just briefly outlined. Hmm. And maybe a last one, Sia, just to bring it home. I think, uh, you know, we've certainly unpacked some of the key issues. We saw a force majeure announcement from Transnet earlier on today. Now, Transnet... Um, is one of the critical players for a commodity-reliant economy like ours and shipping commodities from places like the Northwest to, uh, you know, the ports uh, out on the coastline. Uh, and they've announced a force majeure, also dreading uh, similar types of announcements across the entire supply chain. They've already received one from the fuel refineries and anticipating something similar even from some of the mines. Um, what implications is that going to have in the immediate and I like the point that you're making of trigger, you know, uh, protests as supplies, you know, come in in uh, shortages in other parts of our region that are also reliant on this NATCOR, which, uh, you know, used to stand for Natal Corridor. Yeah, uh, and, and I think that's precisely what we need to understand in how this impact is actually a continuous knock-on. Not so long ago, we were discussing the challenges of 
easing blockages at the borders, Bay Bridge being one, but a number of border posts and inland uh, you know, ports that uh, had faced congestion as a result of COVID-19 uh, restrictions and, and the like. Now we're adding a, a sort of domestic element to that in terms of uh, the disruptions we're going to face in terms of food because of the hits on distribution centers uh, and uh, shipping with the hit of the port in Durban, uh, as well as logistics as the two main arterial highways from the Durban port, the N2 and the N3, are affected by blockages. Uh, So that impact is then going to cascade. So firstly, it will be immediately felt by, obviously, residents within KZN and Gauteng, and almost immediately the borders as well will start having an impact on exports to neighboring countries like uh, Zimbabwe, Eswatini, and um, Lesotho as well, to some extent. Uh, And and I expect then that to have, depending on how quickly we resolve matters, uh, have a sustained impact at least six months to a year from now in delaying the economic recovery and uh, stability in these regions. Obviously, we've seen that uh, shortages in countries like Zimbabwe had already created public outcry and protests not so long ago. I think it was three months ago we faced some protests recently. Mm. And uh, 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 we already know that uh, Lesotho and the Swatini also had similar protests Mm. as a result of economic challenges they currently face. And so uh, it's either the public follows suit to the public in South Africa or as a result of the economic shortages and logistic impact, they will be pushed to the street in order to find a way to resolve this somehow. And I uh, guess this adds yeah. petrol or gas to the fire of the conflict out in Mozambique as well. Definitely, but I think the Mozambican conflict being concentrated in the north will to some extent be isolated, but obviously the knock-on effect of the people who are internally displaced from Mm. that conflict Mm. will have a severe impact because those are people who don't have, uh, you know, households who have their livelihoods uh, at jeopardy and uh, might have even been looking at economic opportunities in South Africa and other neighboring countries. Mm. And so once that, uh, you know, that that would be the impact that connects us uh, to, to Mozambique. See, I can't help, man, just as we wrap up, think about um, many of the discussions nearly 10 years ago um, we would have had around this notion of violence as political entrepreneurship, um, drawing on the Nigerian literature. Um, And I won't lie, that just kept on coming back to my mind over the last while and as I looked at the visuals coming through. What do you make of that? And I guess is that a, a framing that helps us understand this particular situation? Because in a sense, there are many sites of the society that are showing a capacity for some type of violence, right? Taxi yeah. associations, uh, community groups, CPFs, private security industry, uh, you know, uh, community groups organized in whatever shape or form. Um, it does make, I guess, even the process of whatever negotiations might follow this or the resolution of this, because it makes it clear that, I guess, a law enforcement response might not be a sufficient one for this. I think definitely. And, and for me, the starting point is at how we diagnose the problem. So by looking at the problem and saying the issue is looting and uh, uh, lack of rule of law, uh, we're entering the problem from a specific you know, entry point. And that's different from saying the cause of and the core cause of the problem is the inequality 
and the fact that uh, despite uh, you know all these years in a democratic dispensation, we haven't been able to deal with the problem of separate development and how that is linked to mm. our legacy and history of apartheid. Mm. And so what we're solving for by focusing on the, uh, uh, um, the full implication of the law, the might and uh, 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 enforcement of the law is very different to what we would be doing by looking at this from a developmental or economic problem. So I think what we need here is a multi-pronged response. It's not going to be a sort of military response that, yes, might be necessary to calm the violence, but that response in its own is not going to solve the problem. Mm. It's only going to calm the violence for a temporary period up until the next shock hits and then we're, we're back to square one. So I think we do need to also have a, 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 a serious, serious review and how we're going to deal with inequality mm. as a country. And it needs to be at the front and focus of government. Um, when we speak of structural reforms, sure. we need to speak of how we're going to deal with inequality and poverty mm. and how we're going to get the majority of the population as active economic participants in this country. See ya. As always, my brother, pleasure catching up with you. Thank you very much for your insightful analysis and time. And goes. It was a pleasure. Shap, Siatu Mapineza is the founder, executive director of Political Economy Southern Africa and a political economist helping us to make sense of what was happening in the region. And uh, yeah, as we said uh, when we started, it has very, very deep roots. Uh, this, uh, you know, over-reliance on the transport nodes into South Africa. And uh, yeah, maybe as we wrap this up, if you want to go to the